This is Ryan Quick from Embarrass, Minnesota, and maybe if you let Britney talk more, you wouldn't have to beg people on Facebook to record opening intros for your show. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome, one and all. Thank you for joining us. This 247th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, sweaty... You're just a mess. Wow. My lovely co-host, yet apparently very sweaty and hot. Oh. Brittany Page. You're so kind. <laughs> You're so kind. Listen, it's it's hot as shit. Yeah, we're going to do that thing that we that we love to do, which is talk about the weather and then piss everybody off. How can you not talk about it? But listen, we're having an extreme situation here. There <laughs> No, we are, and don't laugh. We're having an extreme situation. No, here. they're saying it's it, it's there's a very high risk of danger because of, of fires because it's the Santa Ana winds right now, and yep. it's it's high temperatures and very low humidity. There is no moisture in the air. My it was, skin. It was it about feels, 100 degrees today. My skin feels like sandpaper right now. It is so dry, yeah. and it's hot and gross. And we live right on the coast. But if you go inland at all, it's going to be like 106 degrees tomorrow inland. Yeah, it's pretty rough right now. Los Angeles, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, not a good time. No. Fucking terrible. (laughs) But, you know, just thankful for air conditioning and (laughs) thankful that the Santa Ana winds are not forever. Yeah. Right? They are no good. It is a weird, and I don't understand the, the meteorological aspect of it, but apparently... It is some weather system where all the insanely hot desert air right. just gets fucking funneled right up my asshole yeah. because it is hot <laughs> yeah. and it's not even like a hot, sticky hot. No. It is just imagine, if you will, that you're inside a small, a tiny coat closet <laughs> and you run an extension cord in and plug in a hair dryer. Mm-hmm. Three or four hair dryers and just stand there with them blasting you with hot air all at the same time. Well, here's what I imagine is like when I walk outside, it's like a movie where you get hit with a shield of fire and turn into just skeleton. <laughs> you just a skeleton. Or your skin turns into ash and just falls to the ground. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. is pretty much how things are going over here. No hyperbole whatsoever. That is accurate. Brittany is walking around. A charred skeleton right now. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> That's how I feel. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, we got a lot to get to. We did skip a show. We're happy to be back. Thank you again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Also, thank you for allowing us to do that. And I just want to repeat that we we talked about it a couple episodes ago, but due to the, the craziness of the schedule this semester. Your grad school schedule this, this semester. Right. Yeah. We may be late on the midweek episode um, or like last week we skipped it. Well, what? let me explain what happened last week. This for the Wednesday or the Thursday episode is it was ready to go. And 
it is we're going to do it late, and then I get to be like, let's put it off until tomorrow morning. And then it's too it's too late because then we're going to put out a, a show on Saturday and then turn around and put another show out on Monday. What the hell are we going to have to talk about in between? Nothing really happens on the weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's kind of my fault. It's probably more my fault than your fault. But I just wanted to reiterate that because we have had some questions from listeners about, oh, well, why wasn't there an episode yeah. or, you know, why was this one late or, you know, people ask questions. Another like 11 weeks. 10 weeks now. Of being up in the air about the, the midweek episode. Right. Just because of the crunching right. my neck demanding schedule that I have <laughs> right now. But it'll right. be over soon, everybody. Well, like I said, we do have a lot to get to, so let's let's press on here. That means shut up, Brittany. We have some listener emails <laughs> as well as a voicemail to get to. Let's start with the email from Renya. I know I'm not doing that right, but how, nonetheless. How dare you? <laughs> Hey, Brittany and Jesse, absolutely love the show. I am a Christian and have many friends who are atheists. We have many discussions about politics and religion. While I do believe in God, I don't believe it is my right or responsibility as a Christian to force my feelings or beliefs on other people, nor would I. Everyone has the right to believe whatever they want. In fact, there are several aspects of my religion I don't agree with, such as death for homosexuals or that virgins should marry men that rape them after their father pays dowry, and I am obviously diametrically opposed to slavery. I was raised in the Baptist faith, and I'm not about that foolishness. I love all people and think all people deserve love, dignity, and respect, regardless of race, sexual orientation, gender, whatever the case may be. I think anyone that commits rape belongs under a jail. And finally, it is abhorrent to think and feel as though you can own another human being. Finally, to my fellow Christians, being a Christian doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't think for yourselves. You absolutely should, and not only is it appropriate, but it is absolutely critical to learn new information and adapt. Again, guys, love the show. Brittany is the best love part. Love the show. Brittany is the best part. Bye. I, 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 there's nothing to add. I agree 100% with that. And here's, here's the thing. And I, being someone who doesn't believe in gods, any gods... Not Jehovah, not, you know, Mohammed, none of them. I don't believe in any God. Zeus, Odin. I know people get offended by that because, well, that that's a fake God. My God's real. I don't look at it that way. But I'm not disrespecting you. You just have a different belief system than me. And I grew up a right-wing, ultra-conservative, evangelical Christian. So I have that experience to draw from. And it's been a journey getting where you are. I was just, that's what I was getting to, is that I went through a period of, like, angry atheist guy who posted pissed off, anti-Christian, anti-religion posts on Facebook all the time. And I feel bad about that. I look back and I lost a lot of, not just Facebook friends, I mean, I lost them, but real friends, people who I, I have known for years who deleted me from Facebook. Now, some of them maybe. Some of them maybe are just like, ah, I don't want to see that all the time. I still love Jesse, but I, I don't want that in my face all the time. And I get that. But I'm in a different place now. And I'm not as, not as pissed off. Religion still bothers me a lot. But I have separated 
a lot of the the bitterness and pissed offness, if you will, that I used to have eh, out of out of my present functioning attitude. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that's hard to do. And I think something that you're saying is it's important to note that when atheists or you know people who criticize religion criticize religion, it should stick to only the ideas and not the people who hold those beliefs. Absolutely, because there are good people who believe terrible things and that's just the situation that we have here and it is okay to be angry when there are people that are being hateful and saying hateful things and using their religion Tim davis for instance right and using their religion to oppress people or you know all the injustices that she talked about in the message um those are things that you should get angry about, that it's okay to be angry about. It's okay to talk about those things. But draw, drawing a line where you don't cross into criticizing the person sure. is probably a good, and a good way to be. I am not innocent of that. I, I think there was a time in my life where I wasn't doing that. I wasn't being good about drawing the line, the distinction between res- disrespecting ideas yet still respecting people. I think yeah, I was oftentimes just kind of a dick, which is kind of a <laughs> it's a natural path for me. I have to I have to check myself from not being an asshole sometimes because it is it's super easy for me just to be a, a jerk off rather than a good empathy possessing person. I'm just being you know honest here. Well, I thought this was really funny. I read this on the internet today. If if you're embarrassed by the person you were five years ago, good. Because it means you've grown, you've educated yourself, and expanded your horizons. Given half the chance, I'd deck 2011 me right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so... Wow. I think that's a little bit what we're talking about here. Yeah, which yeah. Is, And even the, the message is... Learning new information, growing and adapting. You don't need to remain the same. You don't need to believe the same things your whole life. It's okay to, you know, allow that new information to come in and change with with it. But most of all, like she was saying, love everybody. Yeah, compassion. Love, we're all brothers and sisters in this. Let's 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 be genuine and love each other. Awesome. Thanks for the email. We appreciate it very much. Next up. It looks like I am getting called to the carpet by Andrew. This is a note in response to the recent listener contribution about lax sentencing of sex offenders. Jesse said something to the effect of sex offender recidivism is high. That reality is the opposite. Recidivism studies consistently show that sex offenses are one of the lowest recidivism offensive types. According to the report from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 5.3% of sex offenders released from prison were rearrested within the next three years for new sex crimes. Compare this to the overall three-year rearrest rate for all offenders, which is 68% for the 1994 data. Sex offenders are by and large opportunistic offenders. Child molesters mostly victimize family members and children left in their care. Once a person has been convicted of a sex offense, they lose the trust of the community and lose their easy access to victims. Sex offenders may not get hefty sentences on their first offense, but they do wind up having to register, report to parole or probation, and often participate in and pay for their own cognitive behavioral treatment. 
Putting first-time sex offenders in prison for a long time sounds great when you're angry at them, but there's not much logic to it. They are unlikely to reoffend in the community once convicted, and they are a huge safety and security liability inside prisons as they are often sexually and physically assaulted and are the highest risk offense type for suicide while in custody. Further, removing people from society for longer only makes them less likely to succeed upon release. The vast majority of offenders will release at some point, so why increase their chances of failing and creating more societal costs and victims by incarcerating them longer? I also want to point out that longer sentences do not work as a deterrent, nor is the length of incarceration more effective in preventing future crimes, meaning longer sentences are not effective as a punishment. Incarceration, therefore, only makes sense as a means of removing dangerous people from society and gives us an opportunity to do some treatment and rehabilitation with them. Well, sex offenders are low risk for reoffense, as noted above, and their rehabilitation and treatment is much safer, cheaper, and more effective if delivered in the community. So short sentences or community custody actually make the most sense for these offenders. The Freakonomics podcast did a great episode about the costs of committing a sex crime. It puts a lot of this into perspective. I recommend it to anyone interested in the topic. Sorry if this rambled a bit. I wanted to get it written before bed. If you're wondering why I have informed opinions about this stuff, I am a correctional psychologist, but anyone can find the data cited here by using the data analysis tools on the Bureau of Justice Statistics website. Thanks for the great show. Andy from Oakland. How dare you two things how dare you how dare you promote another show on this show and also how dare you point out when i'm not right about something Mm -hmm. that's just fucking bullshit (laughs) um if i'm wrong i'm wrong i i think there is a disconnect here because even after the show Brittany and i continued to talk about this and when i was speaking i may have said the words i likely did if you say i did I, i i probably did I may have been talking about sex offenders with my words, but in my head, I was talking about child molesters, child rapists. And I'm not, look, look, I don't think, just like we were talking about last time, I don't think we're at a place where we can be curing these people cognitively, psychologically. And because of that, I do want them removed from society because they are a danger. Now, I'm just talking about the child the child aspect, because if you're going to be a person who harms the most innocent among us, as far as I'm concerned, you don't get a second chance. You blew it. Of course, any type of rape is a very tough thing to talk about and in a very polarizing. So it's difficult to even, I think, send in an email like that is difficult because people will, you know, you're a rape apologist or whatever, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think that there's validity to that. But I think it goes beyond just the nuts and bolts of the numbers, and it goes to the punishment fitting the crime committed. And again, you know, if you you rape an innocent child, I don't know that there's much more an egregious offense than that. But as always, we appreciate the the feedback and even being told when I'm wrong. So this is also what I love about the show, which is... Oh, there are things you love about the show? <laughs> wow. Thanks, yeah. Brittany. Um, 
I love hearing from people, right? We always talk about how this is supposed to be a conversation and, and we really mean that. And although it can be difficult to be a quote unquote conversation because, well, me and Jesse are recording for an hour and then you listen to us for an hour. And then sometimes we get uh, emails and voicemails and we can't respond to all of them, but we put some in and try to have a little conversation at the beginning here. These nuggets go with all of our listeners And so there's going to be people that hear Andrew's message and go, huh, I really want to go listen to that Freakonomics episode. I think he goes by Andy. I'm calling him Andrew because I I think I saw the email header, Uh but I think he goes by Andy. Sorry, Andy. (laughs) Or I, I want to go look up those statistics. I want to research this a little bit more. And through that... Andy is helping to create a more informed... Right. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about with moving the conversation forward. That's his part. He's sharing those details with people who might be using those, those details in their conversations and talks about substantive issues. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. So thank you. All right. Well, up next is the voicemail. And, you know, on this show, we've talked about, you know, certain social justice issues, but especially those related to police brutality and the lopsided rate at which young black men and women are targeted or seemingly targeted by the police in this country. And in light of all of the past instances and those of the last week and a half or so, that is what this voicemail is about hello my name is greg uh, i'm a black male and i'm really beyond uh devastated by the recent events um first one of uh, the black man in Tulsa being shot with his hands up here's the thing uh I don't know how to put this, but, uh, you know, I I don't want to feel like I'm falling into being racist. I don't want to feel like I'm going there, but it seems, you know, it's, it's very hurtful. You know, power comes individual kindness and understanding. And to me, white people own the system. And white people have forever utilized law enforcement as a means to exert white supremacy. And I'm seeing a fine example of it with this case in Tulsa and other cases across the country. Um, too many black people are being unjustly killed by law enforcement. And I just, you know, feel alienated. I don't feel like I'm an American. You know, I feel very alienated from this society. Because people I pay my taxes to, um, you know, they unjustly kill us for no reason. I, I mean, I truck drive, so I go across the country and, you know, I feel like uh, my tax dollars aren't going to protect and serve me. I, I truly, I, I just have a hard time. Um, feeling a part of this society, you know, did everything I was supposed to do, yet, you know, I've encountered, you know, situations, you know, where I'm afraid of law enforcement and my hands go up, you know, it, it's just, um, 
this feeling of powerlessness. And um, I don't know what to say, man. I don't know what else I could say. It's just, it's just very hurtful. This is it, my views are not what causes racial division. It's about, you know, it's about these events and you know, mainly white people who are, you know, finding some kind of way to support, uh, to justify this. So please, uh, talk to me again. Thank you. Wow. Powerful. If that voicemail from Greg doesn't gin up in you some kind of frustration, or at the very least, deep empathy, for how he sees and navigates life in our country. There's something troubling about how you perceive other people. Now, luckily, I think our audience is filled with just decent human beings who understand this. I feel for you, Greg. Obviously, I'm not black. I don't have a black experience to draw from. I grew up in a really white state, in a little tiny, super white town. And I have the privilege. I'm lucky enough to have been born white. Lucky meaning a lot of the issues you have to deal with. The pains in the ass at the easiest part of the spectrum, and at the most difficult, outright oppression. Those things you have to deal with, I don't have to. I can tell a cop to fuck straight off without worry of being murdered, without worry of being killed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I have been outwardly, openly disrespectful to police in my life. And I've never had a worry of that. There is definitely a problem in this country. I think a lot of it is more the culture within police departments. Generally, I'm not saying all cops are bad, but there's generally a problem that they are not policing their own. I hear this all the time that, oh, most cops are great. Most cops are awesome. Well, where are those awesome majority right now? Where is this spectacular majority of upstanding service-oriented individuals? Why are they not taking the bad cops to the woodshed and dealing with them? You've got police chiefs and sheriffs across the nation who are ostensibly good men and women who want to serve their communities. Why the fuck are they not rooting out the Betty Shelbys, the Tulsa cop who shot the unarmed Terrence Crutcher? Why are they not rooting those cops out? So I think the the part of the voicemail that 
stuck out to me the most is when he said, my tax dollars won't protect and serve me. Yeah. And I think that this is a a point that gets lost on people. And I just watched Bill O'Reilly on Jimmy Kimmel. And he was talking about how we should start um, stopping people and stop and frisk, right? That's what they were talking about. And Bill O'Reilly acted as though if he were to be stopped by the police um, on any sort of regular basis, that that wouldn't be a problem for him. Right. And I, I was here absurd. I know I was listening to this and I was getting enraged because how out of touch are you to not be able to understand where someone is coming from? Right. That <laughs> if Bill O'Reilly was being stopped, he would be like, excuse me, who the fuck are you? And why are you talking to me? <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not opening up my brief. I'm not doing anything for right. you. You stop talking to me. I'm I'm not doing anything, you know? And that's the reaction that people should have when they aren't doing anything and they're being harassed, okay? But, but certain populations are told, oh no, you need to just be calm. Go along to get along. Do what you're told. Yeah. But no one else would do that. No one else would do that. There's not a goddamn chance I'm going to. So when he says, my tax dollars won't protect and serve me, he's making a very strong point here, which is also that the police are the governments. And you always hear conservatives banging on about the governments and how they want less government involvement. Right. But then the government kills an unarmed citizen with their hands up in the middle of the road because their car was stalled. Yes. And there's no comment from the conservative community about the overreach of the government in this instance. And it, this is what gets frustrating, right, for people like Greg when he's saying, I just don't even know what to say anymore Well, he, because he, no one's listening. The other aspect of this is that he is paying taxes just like me. But he's not getting the same representation. He's not being treated the same way by our government that I am. We're paying the same taxes. Why is he not being represented the same way as me? That's a problem. Yeah, We're not equally sh- represented by our tax dollars. And not only is it a problem, it's a problem that everyone should be concerned about especially the people that are always whining about this kind of shit right yes conservatives who claim to really care about this kind of stuff why don't i hear them talking about it why do i hear bill o'reilly saying he wouldn't care if the police were stopping him all the time right right please listen revolutions have been fought over lack of representation while being taxed that is why the united states of america exists right now He has a valid point, and I feel for you. I am, seriously, it is just listening to the palpable pain and frustration in your voice, Greg, it it touches me. And uh, listen, the the road is long, the battle is going to be long, but we are making strides on a regular basis toward total equality and a better, more fair treatment of blacks in this country. It's taken a long goddamn time, far longer than it should. 
but I do believe it's happening. And it's only through the conversations like this that we are moving forward and progressing. So thanks for the call. We appreciate it very much. If you too would like to sound off about this or any other topic, we welcome your emails and your voicemails and your voice memos. 657-464-7609. That is our voicemail at which you can leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Well, we do have a little follow-up today. <laughs> wow. Looks like Anthony Weiner might be fucked. But first, Anthony Weiner's latest sexting scandal hits a new low. Now there's a federal investigation. Good evening, everyone. I'm Maurice Dubois. And I'm Christine Johnson. The U.S. attorney today issued a subpoena to Anthony Weiner. They want to look into his cell phone records after allegations he sexted with a 15-year-old girl. CBS 2's Tracy Carrasco live with new information on Weiner's latest sexting scandal. Tracy. Maurice and Christine, there has been no sign of Anthony Weiner tonight here at his Union Square apartment. Now, this marks his fourth sexting scandal that we know of, but this time the allegations are so serious he could be facing criminal charges. Anthony Weiner's past sexting scandals may have been downright inappropriate, but the latest allegations against him may be criminal. In a published report, a 15-year-old girl claims that the disgraced former congressman sent her sexually explicit messages, even after making it clear she was underage. There's no question that this was unethical. The question is, was it criminal? Defense attorney Stuart Slotnick says what happens next will all depend on the evidence. If the claims are true, Weiner could face felony charges at both the state and federal level. Did he ask this 15-year-old girl to do anything? That's what they're going to be focused on. Published reports say Weiner carried on a months-long online relationship with the teen starting in January. The two allegedly traded sexually graphic messages for months. I think a prosecutor is definitely going to look at his prior behavior to see if there's an issue here. If he committed a crime, I think the, they will be inclined to charge him. On Wednesday, when the story surfaced, CBS2 reached out to Weiner. He issued a statement saying in part, I have likely been the subject of a hoax, but continuing, I have no one to blame but me for putting myself in this position. I am sorry. Weiner also used the claim of a hoax in his original sexting scandal, his Twitter page now gone. And the latest revelations come just a month after photos surfaced of Weiner sexting another woman while his four-year-old son was sleeping in his bed. Shortly afterward, Weiner's wife, Huma Abedin, announced their separation. Now this latest scandal could impact his parental rights. A lot of that's going to be up to his wife and what they do in their divorce. Police sources tell us that as of late this afternoon, they had not spoken to that 15-year-old girl or Anthony Weiner. We're live tonight in Union Square. Tracy Carrasco, CBS 2 News. Okay, Tracy, now to this. So, as if Anthony Weiner uh, could get more unlikable. Yeah, no kidding. It has happened, and he is allegedly a child predator at well, this point. Well, listen, this isn't just distasteful. This is now criminal behavior. This is troublesome. This guy needs to be taken off the streets if this is all true. Well, and the Daily Mail contacted him and asked for a statement about this, this specific case. Right. And he said his 
tired phrase of I have used terrible judgment in the past about the things I've said on the internet. It's a hoax. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. The thing about lying is that people don't trust you when you lie too much. (laughs) And he has lied too much. So (laughs) when your penis was in your pants and you were faced with the picture and they were showing you and saying, this is not your penis. He's like, I... I can neither confirm or deny whose penis that is. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't then go on and have us ex- expect us to believe this is a hoax, you know, but it's being investigated. So we'll see what comes of the investigation. But here we are with Anthony Weiner continuing to be a creeper yeah. in, in the worst way. Yeah, a criminal creeper here, if this is the case. So we, we're definitely going to follow this. Uh, my intuition says, eh, pretty true, and also not surprising. I don't know why, when I first heard about the story, I was like, oh, this, I can't believe this. It, it you know, I, silently to myself, and I, I took a second, literally probably a second, I was like, why, why do you think that? Of course, this would be the, the natural progression for this maniac, this predator, without conscience. He's taking pictures, sexting women with his son in the... I mean, goddamn. Come on. Disgusting. Yeah, so I wonder how long the investigation will take or... I I mean, they've issued a subpoena for the cell cell phone and email records. And I'm just wondering what will come of this. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Right. All right. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdolomore. So thank you to Jackie and Renia. Yes. For being our latest patron supporters. Join in the family. Yes. And we very much appreciate it. You, all of you, all of the Patreon supporters, the PayPal supporters, the people who shop on Amazon, everybody, you will be the reason that we do the debate episode. Right? That's right. The debate is tomorrow. Tomorrow. The debate episode will come out some point after that debate we usually try to get those out pretty quickly yes yes and also for the patreon supporters where we have another google hangout coming up this week oh yeah friday at 8 30 p.m so you can spend your friday night with us okay that's september 30th and then the next day saturday the first at noon. Those are our two Google Hangouts. So Friday, 8.30 p.m. And then Saturday at noon. Those will be our two Patreon Google Hangouts. They were really fun last month. And those are something that we're going to continue to do. Uh, you join the Hangout. We all have a little chat for about an hour or so. It was about an hour, yeah. Yeah, and it's a really great time. So we hope that you guys can make it. Even if you were on the last call, we hope you join us on this call. Uh, if you didn't make it to the last call, hopefully these times work for you. And we look forward to seeing you. It, 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 it's casual. It's super informal. It really is just kind of a, a bullshit sesh. Yes. You know, there's not like... 
I don't know. It, 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 I think it went really well last time. It's not structured. Not structured at all. In fact, there's a lot of awkward pauses and silences because I'm not great at conversation. <laughs> all right. Let's move on with the program. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Well, there has been a seismic event in the political world this last week that we didn't get to, regrettably, because we didn't do a show on Wednesday. But it looks like Hillary Clinton might have another voter that you might not suspect. And this report is from Fox News. So I just want to full disclosure that they're going to put this news in the worst possible light. There was a new report claiming former President George H.W. Bush will be casting his ballot for Hillary Clinton. Now, the daughter of the late Robert F. Kennedy, former Maryland Lieutenant Governor Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, uh, she's making that claim. But is that the whole story? Senior political correspondent Mike Emanuel is live in Chappaqua, New York with the Clinton team. What is President Bush's spokesman saying about that, Mike? Well, Bill, he's saying take it easy. Everybody take a deep breath. What started all the buzz was the former Maryland Lieutenant Governor Kathleen Kennedy Townsend posting a photo of her visit with former President George Herbert Walker Bush. She wrote, the president told me he's voting for Hillary. Bush spokesman Jim McGrath tweeted overnight, those reporting how George H.W. Bush will vote this year, it's not clear anyone was there to verify KKT, Kennedy Townsend, still checking. Keep your powder dry. I should note that that photo has since been removed from Facebook, Bill. Wow. So, this seems pretty credible to me. The reports I've heard and I've read say that he was talking to a group of people. Right, several people heard. Right, and the reason she took the post down is because he didn't say it publicly to a, like to a group. Right. It was a private conversation he was having with a with a few people. Right. And then it went viral. She didn't feel like that was it was appropriate to have shared that after the fact, of course. But right. let me tell you, it's a big deal. This is the vice president of Ronald Reagan <laughs> who's going to vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. Yeah. No, it's not some tacit endorsement of Hillary Clinton, her policies. Right. What it goes to talk about, what it goes to demonstrate is just how dangerous just how non-palatable, if that's even a word, Donald Trump is. How uniquely terrible. Absolutely. That is more apropos. Yeah. That the former vice president of Ronald Wilson Reagan is going to vote for Hillary Clinton. So all of you conservatives out there who are not listening to the show right now and won't hear this, <laughs> you need to know that this is a big deal. Donald Trump is not who you think he is. I don't know why so many of you think that he's some great savior of America. But there's not a living president right now who's going to vote for the guy. Neither of the Bushes. Obama, clearly not. Clinton, clearly not. Carter, clearly not. That's a problem. This man is not fit to be president 
of these United States. He is, however, on this whirlwind tour trying to gin up support among African Americans since he's polling at like zero to one percent with them. Well, you know, he has said they have nothing to lose because they're right. in such a horrible position and he's the only one that can save them too. Right. Your life sucks so bad. What do you have to lose? Yeah, he thinks so highly of people. God damn. Well, he was recently at a town hall, and in the course of answering a question, keeping in mind, audience, that he's trying to woo the black vote right now, he gave this answer. There's been a lot of violence in the black community. I want to know what would you do to help stop that violence, you know, black on black crime. Right. Well, one of the things I'd do, Ricardo, is uh, I would do stop and frisk. I think you have to. We did it in New York. It worked incredibly well. And you have to be proactive. And, you know, you, you really help people sort of change their mind automatically. You understand. You, you have to have, in my opinion, I see what's going on here. I see what's going on in Chicago. I think stop and frisk. In New York City, it was so incredible the way it worked. Now, we had a very good mayor. But New York City was incredible the way that worked. So I think that would be one step you could do. Stop and frisk. That's the answer of Donald Trump. Let's talk about stop and frisk real quick. How much of a dismal, unconstitutional failure it was in New York City. Let us lay some stats on you. Do you want to say what stop and frisk is? (laughs) Just for the lucky people who haven't heard about this. Yeah, I'm dumb. I just assume. So stop and frisk was a policy in New York City under Michael Bloomberg. Wherein they would stop randomly. Quote unquote randomly. People and frisk them, search them, search their person. Wildly unconstitutional, not backed up by the Fourth Amendment of our Constitution. It's truly unbelievable. It has been thrown out in federal court as a policy. It's not You're not allowed to do it. So I don't know how he thinks he's going to bring it back when a federal judge has already fucking ruled. Well, he also said it w- worked wonderfully or something, right? Right. So they would just stop. Well, it ended up that they were stopping a wildly disproportionate amount of blacks than whites. Like I think and this is you've got the numbers there Brittany. I think it was like 10% of the 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 millions of stops over the course of this program were white. 10% in New York City. Yeah, well and that's why when I emphasize that he had said that it worked wonderfully and then you cut me off. I was trying to get the point across that that Donald Trump may not know what actually ended up happening with this policy. Of course he doesn't know. He legitimately may not have that information because he does not know things. Because he's a fucking dolt. That's why. In 2012 New Yorkers were stopped by police 532,911 times. Half a million times people were stopped and illegally searched. In 55% of the cases, the suspect was black. And in 10% of the cases, the suspect was white. Huh. That's weird. New York City's not 55% black, Brittany. In 89% of the cases, the suspect was innocent. 90%. In 90% of the cases, they stopped, harassed, and bothered. And unconstitutionally violated the rights 
of an American who was innocent. Now, listen, it doesn't just stop at 2012. They have data for 2011 and 2010. So I want you to hear how similar these numbers are. In 2011, 53% of New Yorkers who were stopped and frisked by police were black and 9% were white. In 2010, 54% were black and 9% were white. So Mm, again, for three years, they have data on this and over 50% were black and 9 to 10% were white. The other number that I want to talk about is how many guns were taken off the street. This is, you know, all of the, the people who support this policy talked about all the guns, the illegal guns that were going to be used in the commission of crimes that they'd be able to get off the street using stop and frisk. Well, guns were found, Brittany Page, and this is the only sat that I know off the top of my head, in point two percent of the stops 0.2 percent not even a quarter of a percent of the stops involved an illegal firearm this is an abysmal policy and also it is why i i I don't have any conception of why donald trump thinks promoting stop and frisk is going to oh the black oh oh you're gonna implement a policy nationwide that wildly disproportionately affects people that look like me, that live where I live. Come on. Well, outrageous. Well, there's several other years. I think some of this data goes back to 2002. Yes. And the consistent finding is that blacks and Latino communities are disproportionately targeted by this kind of legislation. So when you're like, oh, let's institute a stop and frisk policy. What you're really talking about is harassing minorities. That's what you're saying. We want to harass people. That is exactly it. They have these bloated police departments. Maybe that that's harsh. Maybe maybe bloated is, is harsh in New York City because there is a an imminent threat. But they have these police departments where they have a lot of downtime because there's not always a terrorist attack. There's not always a problem going on. And so what do cops do? Well, they, hey, there's a guy. Let's go fuck with him. Let's go search him. Let's go pat him down. Let's go question him. It's egregious. It is overwhelming government interference in the the movement, in the associations of innocent Americans who have a constitutional right to, to go about their lives unmolested by the goddamn government. And so do you know what the question was again? Because I, what was the question? There's been a lot of violence in the black community. I want to know what would you do to help stop that violence, you know, black on black crime. Right. Well, one of the things. Okay, so his solution is to discriminate against people. Yes. To adopt racist policies. Yes. And discriminate against the population. That that's what his answer is to that question. As the presidential candidate. He wants to be president of the United States. Well, listen, it's no surprise that Donald Trump holds troubling views on race. In the 70s, when he would put he would have his 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 employees put a C on the applications for his apartments of colored people. He had to pay millions of dollars in a settlement because of that very practice. Donald Trump holds some arguably 
racist views. And it, you know, it goes in tandem. It shouldn't be any surprise that his supporters also hold insane racist views. Listen to Kathy Miller, who is an Ohio one of the county chairs in Ohio of the Trump campaign. I don't think there was any racism until Obama got elected. <laughs> we never Jesus. had problems like this. You know, I, I'm in the real estate industry. Hang on a minute. She doesn't believe, Brittany Page, that there was any racism until Obama got elected. How old is she? Is she like a toddler? <laughs> I... The 50s and 60s, that wasn't racist, Brittany Page. I mean, what? <laughs> Slavery wasn't racist. It was only when Obama took office that racism became a problem. Uh... I don't think there was any racism until Obama got elected. That we never had problems like this, you know. Never. I, I'm in the real estate industry. There's none. Now, you know, with the people with the guns and shooting up neighborhoods and not being responsible citizens, that's a big change. And I think that's the philosophy that Obama has perpetuated on America. And if you're black and you haven't been successful in the last 50 years, it's your own fault. I, I think that when we look at the last 50 years, where are we and why? We have three generations of all still having unwed babies, kids that don't go through high school. I mean, when do they take responsibility for how they live? I think it's due time, and I think that's good that Mr. Trump is pointing that out. Wow. How old Kathy do you, Miller, everybody. How old do you think that woman is? 60. Yeah. I would guess she's 60. So, I mean... That's it's, hateful shit. It's... um. It's hard to even understand how to handle someone who... Watching you process this and unpack her ignorance, like in your... I'm watching you and it's this... It's confusion and fear and you're pissed off. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I just, this is I'm, kind of a show I, for me. I'm so sick of this this argument that... It, and and this is why she doesn't have an excuse because if she's 60 then she remembers oh yeah okay or she has parents who remember yeah when things were very very bad yeah not good okay and those problems don't just go away it doesn't just go away and it is sickening when people try to ignore what this country did to people yes under the authority of law, relatively what we did recently, by the way, right. So I just I don't understand this and how she can get on TV and say these things. I mean, this is how you hear people in racist communities talk. These are the things they say in white supremacist well, communities, in white nationalist communities. If she's comfortable saying this shit on camera, what is she saying? To her friends and neighbors. Oh, of course. When she's in her living room. Of course. Having a drink. Yeah. That's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. Well, it's not just some county organizer who's saying troubling racist things. It's a sitting United States congressman in North Carolina by the name of Robert Pittenger, who is standing in front of a BBC camera broadcasting him say these words live in reference to the protesters in Charlotte, 
North Carolina. What, what, what is their grievance in their mind? Well, no, the grievance in their mind is uh, the, the, the animus, the anger. They hate white people because white people are successful and they're not. I mean, yes, uh. it is. It is a welfare state. We have, we have spent trillions of dollars on welfare, but we put people in bondage so that they can't be all that they're capable of being. And, you know, America was, is a country of opportunity and freedom and liberty. It didn't come that way because of a great government who provided everything for everyone. No, the destiny of America, the, the freedom to come to this country, uh, where they're still coming to our shores, is because so, they can take their, their work ethic and their, their, their hard effort and, and put up their capital and their risk and, and build out their lives. So, again, this is how racist people talk. Yes. These are the things that people in white supremacist, white nationalists, those people in the KKK outfits, this is how they talk. They say things like black people hate us because we're successful, even though they are like living in the woods and right. don't know. They don't have all their fucking teeth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, th- this is the kind of thing they say. And this guy's going on TV and he's saying this. He was talking to the BBC. So this is an international audience that he feels comfortable spewing that kind of hatred. So what in the hell is going on? Uh, I don't know. They feel emboldened because of their new Fuhrer, Donald Trump. He has normalized these opinions that before they had to only talk about it in their living rooms with their neighbors. So I have another question. Do you think that these reporters failed in this situation to stop them when they say it, said what they said and and inquire into how they were comfortable saying such blatantly racist things on TV. I don't know. I don't have the information. I don't have the clip. Uh, I, I didn't watch the entire interview of either one, so I don't know the answer to that. But I would say this. I don't know that it's a, the, the reporter's responsibility necessarily because... They give the person all the rope in the world, just they're being the quiet while the person's giving the remark. If you start asking a bunch of follow-up questions and give the person the realization that, oh shit, that's being perceived as super terrible, they, then they'll start backing away. I don't know. I don't know. So maybe not a direct confrontation, but a more strategic way of asking questions that can then further allow themselves to hang themselves during the interview. And then we'll get more information. The Kathy Miller case, especially when you watch the video, the camera keeps cutting to the reporter and he is, he is awestruck by the audacity, the temerity that this woman has to say these terrible things one incorrect factually historically incorrect but also just hateful and shitty he's very confused by this like what 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 is happening right now why is this woman being morally bankrupt on tv (laughs) usually people put their best foot forward on tv (laughs) and look this is this is this is a symptomatic of the donald trump campaign he's giving these people courage to come out oh God. and say this type of shit, which is great in one way, because now you know, you know, it's like people who fly the, the Confederate flag. All it is is a signal to everybody else. Oh, he's one of those. All right. Well, that's good to know. Same thing here. They're just letting it be known with words. Oh, well, there's more trouble for Trump. 
Apparently, he's been using charity money, money from the Donald J. Trump Foundation, to settle legal disputes, to settle lawsuits. That's a problem. This is also just in. We want to bring this to you. A brand new report from the Washington Post with this. Donald Trump, according to the Post, Donald Trump spent more than a quarter million Quarter million dollars from his charitable foundation to settle lawsuits that involved the candidates for profit businesses. The Washington Post, David Farenthold, is the man behind this report. He's joining us now. David, you have been continuing to dig into the charities. Please tell us what you found. Well, these are two really interesting cases, both cases where a business that Trump ran got into some kind of legal trouble. In one case, it was a bunch of code violations in Florida. In another case, it was a lawsuit against one of his golf clubs in New York. In both cases, Trump's businesses settled these lawsuits with a promise that they are going to give money to charity. Uh, and in both cases, it's Trump's charity, uh, which is mostly filled with other people's money, that actually pays off those bills. So Trump is using his charity to benefit his businesses, which is against the law. Yeah, and this is the type of thing that, that what can happen to you. Again, just to be clear here, the allegation would be that he's using charitable money, other people's money, charity money, to pay off corporate issues and settlements. What does the IRS do about this type of thing? Well, I don't know what the IRS is actually doing at the, doing right now. They haven't spoken about whether they have launched an investigation. The New York Attorney General has launched an investigation, and he can enforce uh, state charity laws in New York State. The potential penalties, if someone is found to have committed an act of self-dealing, which is what they call this, uh, then you're talking about penalty taxes, having Trump might have to repay the money uh, to the foundation that it gave away to help his businesses. He could even lose his tax-exempt status. The Trump Foundation could effectively go away uh, if he's found to have really done these things. One thing that is clear with your digging is that the questions surrounding Trump's charitable foundation, they are not going away. We'll continue to face this candidate. David, thank you so much. Well, Kellyanne Conway, his new campaign manager, she was asked by Aaron Burnett questions about this very thing. And she, the, the gerbil on the track in her brain may have just jumped the track or something because she went into this weird gibberish answer. You got to listen. So let me ask you a couple questions that you raised there because you mentioned uh, in the post saying may have, and you are right, it does say may have. It goes on, though, to quote a lawyer, Jeffrey Tenenbaum, who advises 700 nonprofits annually on taxes, and his quote was, quote, I've never encountered anything so brazen, saying it's as blatant an example of self-dealing as I have seen in a while. Again, referring to that Mar-a-Lago example, there was another one with a golf course uh, as well to settle a dispute. A donation was given from the foundation to charity. Can you categorically say there, there was no self-dealing? Or at this point, are you not sure? Well, I've been talking to the people who are responsible for the Trump Foundation today, trying to get some facts and some figures. And so I, I know this is all developing. Uh, we, we need to gather information. But let me tell you it's very important for people to understand what, the, what happened in these cases. Donations went to veterans groups. Donations went to another person's foundation in another instance. The idea that the money went for, when people hear self-dealing, Aaron, you know what they think of immediately, that it's going for a plane rides and fancy hotels and expensive right. meals and certainly salaries and overheads. Again, that sounds to me like the Clinton Foundation where a report but this weekend let me said just say, if, about 6% of their money got to charities. A lot of it was wasted in overhead. That again, is not the, the point, case. The point here, though, is the Trump, Trump Foundation. Is in the Clinton Foundation. Kellyanne, the point, right. though, is the Trump Foundation. And if this was well, settling a lawsuit that enable Donald Trump's business to benefit, whether it be Mar-a-Lago or a golf course, that would possibly then be self-dealing. 
How, how, I'm sorry, how did his golf course benefit from him redirecting monies that mistakenly came to the Trump Foundation? He redirected them to someone else's private foundation based on a hole-in-one contest. They were, they were misdirected to his foundation. I'm told by his accountants and attorneys they went to the right foundation after that. How in the world did his business benefit from that? How did, did Mar-a-Lago benefit from him uh, giving $100,000 to veterans? The veterans benefited, and I think that's great. I applaud him for doing that. All well, the business, of course, benefited the by the lawsuit going higher. away and being settled, right? That would be how the business benefited. Well, there are many lawsuits uh, every day against people. That's that's. I think that's a bridge too far. I think you're making things up based on facts as they are not reported in this in this story, which also uses a lot of conditional phrasing. I would like to point out. But look, that last part was great. But let me answer her question a little bit more effectively or forcefully than Aaron Burnett did. How does the golf course benefit? Well, the golf course benefits because it doesn't have to pay the million dollars. If the charity pays it for the business, then that business still has a million dollars that it wouldn't otherwise have. Right. And to be clear, Trump's business doesn't have to pay that. Right. Then Trump's business doesn't have to worry about that expense. He saves himself that expense. Also, we've learned through all of this that Donald Trump has not given his own money to the Donald J. Trump Foundation since 2009. So he wouldn't be paying with his own money. He's paying his fine implemented by a court in the United States. This isn't like a suggestion. Like, ah, well, it'd be great if you'd pay some money. It's, okay, well, here's a fine. We're going to fine you a million dollars. Or we're going to fine you X dollars. You don't get to use charity money just because your name is on the charity. Well, and I want to talk about the the golf club lawsuit because it's really um a window into the kind of person that donald trump is sure sure before we do that though let's listen to that gibberish one more time All well the business of course benefited the by the lawsuit going higher. away and being settled right that would be how the business benefited well, there are many lawsuits uh, every day against people. That's that's. I think that's a bridge too far. I think you're making things up based on facts as they are not reported in this in this story, which also uses a lot of conditional phrasing. I would like to point out. But look, you're making things up based on facts that aren't reported in this. What? <laughs> they are bringing this type of political speak to a whole new level this election cycle. The Donald Trump people. Ugh. So let's do, let's let's get back to what you were talking about. The Donald Trump, how he is as a person with this contest. Let's talk about this one specific case where charity monies were paid in the as a result of a lawsuit. Right, so the foundation made a $158,000 donation, quote-unquote, to settle the lawsuit by a golfer who was denied a promised $1 million payout for getting a hole-in-one at a charity golf tournament at a Trump course, okay? Yes. Now, he was promised this money because, oh, he got the hole-in-one, and that was the prize. That was the payout for getting this, right? You had to go a certain distance. I think it was... 150 yards. 150 yards. The thing is, well, so so the contest was if you got a hole in one, great, but your ball had to have traveled 150 yards on top of getting the hole in one. Right. So after this happened, apparently the day of the golfer said that that he was promised this money that they said, yes, you're going to get it. Then it turns out 
that the 150 yards, that wasn't even the distance. Right. That wasn't possible. It wasn't possible because the, the hole was shorter than the 150 yards. Right. So really, it so was rigged. So they set it up total fucking rigged. You talk about a rigged system, yeah, everybody. Yeah, like a carnival, goddamn carnival game. Yeah. it's This is the kind of person he is. He's a liar. He lied. Yes. This is a lie. He's a fraudulent, deceptive liar. He cheated someone. That's yes. what he did here. He cheated someone. And then when he was required by court order to pay a certain amount of money, he used not his own money, charitable tax-free dollars to pay. That is criminal behavior. They have also found that Trump's campaign has paid his businesses a total of $8.2 million. Yeah, right. He's profiting from yeah, this campaign. He's paying himself. Yeah. Disgusting. All right. Well, one last thing before we get to taking care of biz. One more reason why Gary Johnson isn't. And still, it does break my heart to say this because I have affinity for this character. I have. I don't have all negative feelings about a Gary Johnson. But he's just not ready for prime time. Here is. A question, the, the, you're not going to hear the whole question, but it's about global warming and how the government should combat the impending threat, the current threat of global warming. And Gary Johnson gives a ridiculous, astronomically stupid answer. And uh, what should the government's role be in mitigating that? Well, uh Climate change. Uh, I think the I think the world is getting warmer. Uh, I think that it's man caused. That said, should we uh, be engaged in uh, cap and trade uh, taxation? No, I don't think that we should. We should lend certainty uh, to the energy field. We should be building new coal fired plants. When you look at the amount of money that we're looking to spend on global warming in the trillions and look at the result, I just argue that the result is is completely inconsequential to the money that we, we would end up spending and that we could direct those monies in other ways that would be much more beneficial to a mankind. I mean, the long-term view, I, I, should we take the long-term view when it comes to global warming? I think that we should. And the long-term view is, is that in billions of years, the sun is going to actually grow and encompass the earth, right? So global warming is in our, in our future. That is the answer of a not serious person. You don't strategically organize policy as a government. The long-term view from that perspective is a generation, maybe. In several billion years, when the sun <laughs> encompasses the earth, the human race won't even be what it is today. Well, the world's going to end anyway, you guys. We, Why might are have, we... we might have an arm growing out of our goddamn forehead by then. That's billions of years evolutionary. That's evolutionary scale. I mean, by his logic, why are we doing anything? It is ridiculous. That, 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 that's a great point. About anything. Yeah, why, why do anything with any policy whatsoever? Because, you know, the long-term view, you know, the air of the sun is going <laughs> to eat up the earth. Yeah, like, why do anything about North Korea? I mean, eventually we're all going to die anyway. Right. Not a serious <laughs> answer. 
Not a serious man. Not a serious candidate for president. And it's, it's a bummer for me because this was a guy I was looking forward to possibly voting for. But I'm glad that he is, he's made himself... <laughs> We didn't find out too late, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, he has removed himself from the equation. All right. Taking care of biz. A Russian toddler. A who- Russian toddler's taking care of biz? Yes. Not Putin. No. But a Russian toddler. A Russian toddler. <laughs> and... I mean, surprise, surprise, I cannot pronounce his name. Wow, shocker. So, um, but it it looks like maybe Saren Dopchat. Saren Dopchat. Yeah. Well, let's go with Saren Dopchat. Okay, or just Russian toddler. Um, <laughs> or even he. You can read or he. Yeah, he. The proper pronoun. Yeah. He is back with his family after surviving three days alone in a snowy forest with bears and wolves. He reportedly wandered into the woods after a puppy on Sunday. The boy wasn't even wearing a coat when he went missing. His disappearance triggered a huge air and land search by authorities. He'd been playing at his great-grandmother's house when he wandered away. He was believed to have had just a small bar of chocolate in his pocket when he wandered off. That's all. What? What? He didn't have a coat and only a a bar of chocolate. What kid is like, what three-year-old? Toddler. You said three? Or I just have three in my head. Yes, he's three. What three-year-old is just walking around with a chocolate bar in his pocket? <laughs> that seems... Maybe Russia's just different. Maybe it's a, a land of wonderment for children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three days? How many nights? Yeah, 72 hours. Holy shit. Yes, he was found uninjured after 72 hours and had apparently slept in a makeshift bed at the base of a tree. So he like made himself a bed at the base of some tree in the snowy woods. Those Russians are crafty. Yeah, he reportedly heard his uncle call out his name and then he responded. That's how he got saved. But this is the funny part. I mean, he's been in the woods freezing with terrifying animals. This is my worst nightmare. Terrifying animals... (laughs) And insects all around. Right. Okay. And his first concern, his first question to his uncle. Another chocolate bar? No. He asked if his toy car was okay. Like, what would have happened to the toy car? (laughs) He wanted to know if his toys were okay. So he's taking care of biz because this three-year-old is tougher than me. He's a gritty little bastard. Yeah. he. I mean, he just made a bed at the base of a tree and was like, I'm just going to live out here, I guess. Wolves, bears, nah, I'll yeah, be fine. I don't know where anybody is, so I'll just live here now. <laughs> this is my new home. <laughs> All right. Well, Russian toddler, taking care of biz. That's awesome. All right. Well, that does it for us for this episode 247. Do not forget to check out the bonus debate episode that we will be doing, breaking down all of the juicy goodness of the first presidential debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It's going to be a real good time. Also, work into your schedule, the Patreon slash PayPal hangout on Google that we're going to do on Friday and Saturday of this week. We love you guys. We appreciate you. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, go to iTunes, rate and review us. There are thousands of you who listen to the show who have not (laughs) rated and reviewed the show. Eh, I got to say, it's hurting my feelings a little bit. 
Brittany expects that kind of disrespect and hatred. Uh, not me. I get a little hurt. Well, I'm a woman, so... The other ways would be obviously PayPal, Patreon, but also Amazon. Go to dollamore.com slash Amazon and shop. Buy what you're going to buy. Every little bit goes a long way. We love you guys. You are the best. And until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I can either confirm or deny whose penis that is. <laughs> <laughs>